All right, hello, my name is James Wilson. I'm sitting with Christopher Luad. And Chris, um, could you just uh, introduce yourself and tell people what you do? Sure, well, uh, I am a meditation instructor, uh, mindfulness teacher. I also uh, do presentations on uh, various aspects of Buddhism, uh, mostly for celebrity cruise lines, but for other corporations as well. I, I do corporate mindfulness uh, for, for various corporations, uh, mostly in the United States, but also in around the world. I'm the director of the Such Sweet Thunder meditation program, which is a program that I designed based on uh, a Tibetan Buddhist practice called the Primary Practice. And most recently, I've been making a, uh, a in-depth study on the Four Noble Truths, the first uh, teachings of the Buddha, and applying those to a meditation practice itself. Cool. That's a lot. It's a yeah, mouthful. It <laughs> I didn't realize I was so busy. If you had to put like a title, you only get a little box normally. Yeah. So it's like, okay, how do I do this in three ways? I just put my name in very, very fine print. There we go. Fit it all in. Well, it's cool because you actually um, talked about then adapting your own meditation style. And that was going to be my first question. It was, um, how did you get to where you are now, where you're teaching people how to meditate? Because mm. I've done a few classes with you, and I felt absolutely amazing. Like, after one of them, especially, that I remember me telling you about, I was like, man, I just, I just felt so great. I felt so high after it, you know? Yes, I was on yes. that, that high for quite a while. Okay. And, I, you know, I didn't want to come back down to that level. But when I did, I was like, wow, that was something special, you know? Um, so, you know, you would have developed your technique as you grow and as you... Um, as we as we grow older mm. so how did you start yes well uh it i'll start from the beginning okay then uh i started practicing meditation when i was 13 so i got turned on to it at a very young that age that is young right yeah yeah uh through various circumstances i i find myself i found myself at 13 uh researching uh different religions and faiths and i came across buddhism and it very much resonated with me uh and so what do Buddhists do? Well, they meditate. So I went out and found some books on meditation. Luckily, they were very good books, uh, so I wasn't too misguided in creating my own home practice. And uh, when I was 18, I, I started receiving formal instructions at the Cambridge Zen Center in Massachusetts, which is a Korean form of Zen. Uh, so that, that was my real uh, first uh, formal introduction to meditation and Buddhism. And so that deeply informs my practice, but I, I don't really, it's, su it's such an early baseline that, that, that I don't really draw from that technically, but I know it's there. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you more, it's more advanced now, is that what you're saying? Like, so that well, first introduction was the base? And... Yeah, I, I think it, because it was so long ago and, and, uh, and it was such a, a fundamental beginning, uh, but, but you know how it is when you're learning grammar, you don't refer back to the grammar rules when you're speaking. <laughs> mm. You That's get lost, is. don't you? I found, like, say with language, uh -huh. you know, you don't have to think about it. So, right. So you know it's just so much, so much in depth meditation practice right yeah that you don't you don't uh, you don't really concentrate on the fundamentals mm. anymore the early the early teachings that you, you learned because they're, they're just a part of the sauce now yeah <laughs> you know cool yeah 
Uh, and then I moved to New York in 2000. I began uh, studying uh, formally at the Fire Lotus Temple in Brooklyn, New York, which is another Zen school, Japanese Zen, uh, Soto and Rinzai, a combination of two different meditation practices there, um, which was, was great. I was also trained as a jazz musician. That's what I was doing in Boston. So when I moved to New York, I was already my jazz career had started and I was very happy being a, a professional jazz musician, musician rather practicing Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but then September 11th happened and that was really the, the trigger for me, the, the switch, so to speak. And, um, I knew probably it took about six months after September 11th for, the, for it to really manifest for me. But then I knew that I would learn these teachings so that I could give them to others so that events like September 11th would be impossible. I knew that if people could come to understand these teachings the way I understood them, that events like that wouldn't, wouldn't happen any longer. Wow. So I, I, I uh, started uh, my life trajectory, started moving away from being a jazz musician and, and formally uh, teaching meditation full-time. That took about nine years. In that nine-year interim, I lived as a monk for over a year in a monastery in New York City. I uh, practiced as a monk in, in monasteries in, in California, in Nepal. I'm actually heading back to Nepal to do some more training. Um, so it's ongoing, right? It's, it's ongoing. ongoing. And yes. you've actually you know, got your feet dirty with this. You've really <laughs> gone into like the, the traditional values of it. You really started from the scratch of it. Yeah, well, some, I think as, as, as much as an American can, mm. you know, I've really uh, looked for some really uh, great teachers. I've been very, very, very lucky with my teachers, actually, uh, and, and had some wonderful guides along the way and I continue to meet with them uh, frequently. Um, and then in 2009, I, I started teaching myself and uh, with some really great results, actually. What I've done is I've taken a Tibetan practice that I got from my teacher, uh, Ken McLeod, called the primary practice. And the primary practice is designed, it's a meditation designed to help us embrace the present moment as completely as possible. So we start by meditating with the breath, the sensations of the breath, the body, and any sounds that are available in the present moment, the taking in all of the sounds and the silence. Uh, and that's the first stage of the practice. And I, I let the practitioner uh, stop there and meditate with the sounds and the sensations for however long it takes for the mind to settle down. Maybe 10 minutes, maybe half an hour? Well, I, I'm thinking of more of doing that as a daily practice for like six months. Yeah. Like that. So really get your mind used to switching off. Really. Right. And, and being, re the mind is allowed to rest. So the thoughts, the thoughts are allowed to come and go, but we don't follow the thoughts anymore. I like the phrase mind like a sky. So you keep the mind open and clear like the sky and thoughts coming through the sky like clouds. We don't have to follow the clouds or entertain them in any way. We just let them pass through. Just let it be. Exactly, exactly. Because when you let thoughts be without following them or entertaining them, they disappear on their own. They self-liberate. Do you think a lot of people, when we're, we're kind of used to following these thoughts, 
You well, know? that's our, 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 I think most of humanity in our current state, we're, we're just going from one thought to the next thought to the next thought throughout most of our life. Our whole lives. Yeah, man. yeah. And uh, as a result of that, we miss a lot of the present moment. So yeah. it's, I think it's then, it's just a big lifestyle change. And it's such a, could be a, such a significant part of someone's life when you realize, oh my goodness, I could switch this mind off. Yeah. And listen to the world. It's a different <laughs> life then. It's a different viewpoint. It, it, absolutely right. Uh, and, and yes, yeah, life becomes such a, a much more uh, vibrant experience when you're actually, uh, when you're stepping outside of the verbal structure of the mind. The, because we label things with our mind, uh, they lose, the things that we label lose their vibrancy, lose their life force. We look at a tree and we say tree, and that doesn't really tell us the majesty of an oak, right? The life force of coming from this oak. We just yeah. say tree and it just then becomes we, that it word. becomes that dead. Yeah. Yeah, it takes the life out of out of it, and that's we do that to everything—not just nature, but we do it to humanity. And that's really, uh, I think, one of the primary causes of illness in the human condition. Uh, it's that labeling process. We we it allows us to objectify our other human beings, and as a result of that objectification, we have war, famine. Uh, uh, Hoarding so that uh, people are starving, other people are wealthy, other people are starving. You know, it it all comes from uh, objectification. It leads to many, many, many imbalances in the human system, and that's from leaving that um, that state of mind. Like it's just not really seeing the life, the yeah. true essence of of life. As soon life as you label somebody, uh, they're a musician, they're a Buddhist, they're a Christian, they're a Catholic, they're a Muslim, they're a, they're homosexual, they're heterosexual, they're uh, wealthy, they're poor, they're black, they're white, whatever. It takes some aspect of their humanity away. And once that's done, once we've done that, we're, we're allowed to objectify them and, and use them as objects in our world rather than seeing them as the spirit that they are. It's quite disgusting, I think, that what, what can happen when we take that out of it, yeah, it's disgusting. Like what the actions some people feel, they can justify them, I suppose. And it's it's disgusting in a way, but it, but in a way, it's the it's actually the the normal current state of humanity. And, and when I think one of the real gifts of a meditation practice is showing us the that it, that is an illusion, that that labeling process that we become so in, entranced with, or entrenched with, or hypnotized by. Um, is an illusion, and and once we are able to walk in silence, or experience the world in silence, uh, the radiant spirit coming through each individual becomes very obvious. Actually, and that type of objectification becomes impossible. So people can start doing this thing themselves. Like you can reach, you know, when you reach adult life, and uh, it's kind of calmed down a little bit. Because growing up is quite crazy. I think maybe your mid twenties, late twenties. You know, I mean, this might happen earlier. But say you are in that your mid twenties, you can start doing this yourself. You can start becoming more and more aware of yeah. the world, right? And uh, and let it calm down. But um, but you help teach people. You help people get into this meditative state. Yes, yes, that's a. Uh, uh, one of the primary aspects of the meditation that I teach is 
stopping the labeling process, stopping, stopping the verbal mind from labeling or mapping out every experience that we have. And we do that in meditation as well. When we sit in meditation, we, we follow the breath. We don't label the breath, good breath or bad breath or short breath or long breath or any kind of sensation to it. We just experience the breath without the words to it. And we start there. It's very simple, right? The breath is with us all the time, so we can practice that in any moment while we're driving, walk uh, to the grocery store, waiting for an elevator. You just take one or two breaths and feel the breath without labeling it at all. That Just that exercise alone is making steps towards breaking the habit of labeling every experience. So you're having an experience without the labels just by following the breath like that. Then we do the body scanning. We don't label any of the sensations of the body, painful, blissful, pleasurable, itch, ache. We don't label anything like that. Color. We just experience the body as it arises in the present moment. So there again is another opportunity where we're scanning the body to drop the labeling process and just have an experience without any labels at all and so forth. We go through all the stages doing that. We open our awareness to the sounds and silence. There are many stages though, right? I mean, I think I got to maybe stage two with you when uh -huh. we did the breathing and stage two was becoming more aware of body parts. Right. So we started with organs, I think maybe, or starting with the stomach uh -huh. and moving up to the throat maybe and, uh, you know, your ears. Yeah. So it was unlocking <laughs> all these things and just becoming more and more mindful of your, of your body as a whole, you know? Right. And then, yeah, then we go to the third stage where it was maybe sound, but I didn't get right. to this with you, but there's... You, it's, it's, yeah, I'll go through all the heavy. stages then, <laughs> since you brought it up. Yeah. So, so we, we do the breath in the body, and what that does, what we're doing with these stages, we're gradually including more and more of the present moment. And the way I uh, wrote about it in my book is uh, healing the wounds between self and other. So... What that means is that first we start with the breath and the body. And in doing that, we're healing the wound between psyche and soma. We're bridging that gap between mind and body by resting and experiencing the sensations of breath and body. We uh, gradually re-inhabit our body uh, as we do that. So parts of the body tend to get more feeling. Uh, num numbness tends to dissipate when we do extensive body scanning. Then the next stage is opening to the sounds and the silence. That's healing the wound between body, mind, and environment. We're so accustomed to experiencing the world between everything inside my skin is me and everything outside my skin is not me. But uh, the seers and sages of today and yesterday and tomorrow all agree that that's actually an illusion that it's all one awareness. The inside of the body and the outside of the body is all arising in one awareness. So from, from that stage, we start to bring that more global awareness into play. So we're, we're doing the breath, the body, and then the sounds and silence. When that begins to settle down, when the thoughts begin to settle down, when the meditator can rest comfortably in that experience, then we open our eyes and we take in the visual field which is another uh, step towards bring, bridging the gap between self and other, more of the external world now. So from the external world, we're experiencing the sounds and silence and the play of shadow, color, light, and space. That's how I like to put it. 
And we, the space is very important. Space is often overlooked in our visual field, right? We often are so entranced by the objects in the visual field that we, we lose the space of the visual field. That empty, empty, clear space is very important, like that. So we take all of that into experience. Then I allow the meditator, we, we rest with that until thoughts subside. And then we open our awareness again, uh, and that's the next stage, to the internal field. Any emotional material, any thoughts or feelings that are arising, uh, we let them, we honor them. We let them arise, pass through, and fade away. We don't repress anything, and we don't cling to anything. So if sadness arises, or if anger arises, or if joy arises, we honor it. We look at it, say, oh, that's really wonderful experience, if it's joy or bliss, we, we can actually revel and take pleasure in that experience as it arises, but we don't cling to it, we don't grasp at it. So it just passes rather quickly usually, and then uh, we rest in the experience of everything that's arising and passing. Now that's, that is really uh, important, I'm gonna, I'll come back to that aspect of it in a minute. I'll, I just want to finish the stages before I, I digress okay, cool. <laughs> to any one of them. So. Visual field, internal field, and then resting in all of that, which is a lot of the present moment now, becomes a very rich experience. Uh, we then open our heart to the, the entire experience. And people generally have trouble with that. Uh, because, you know, what does that mean, open open the heart? It's, it's kind of, you know, foo-foo, mushy, new-agey kind of thing. But but it's not, actually. It's actually very a beautiful practice. And... You open your heart to the present moment the same way you might open your heart if you're picking up a kitten or uh, greeting a friend that you haven't seen in many years or meeting a, a family member that you haven't seen in a while. Any kind of experience where your heart genuinely opens and you take that warmth and you apply it to the entire present moment. So allowing your heart to open to the entire uh, field of experience like that, which is, people generally really like that practice. It's, sometimes you get some resistance, you know, so it's hard for people, I think, sometimes to open their heart if they've had some pain in the past or things like that. But uh, generally, uh, when people can really go into that stage of the practice, it becomes a very wonderful eye-opening experience for many. Um, and then it's not, not over yet. <laughs> this is great stuff, man. I love it. I do too, yeah. So uh, opening the heart, and then we ask a question in the meditation practice. And that question is, uh, who experiences this? And when we allow that question to arise in the silence of meditation, who experiences this? Uh, what that does is that points our awareness to the one who's having this experience. It, it allows us to look at our mind itself. We turn our, it's called insight practice, and we turn our vision inward uh, to look at who's having this experience or what's having this experience. And what happens when we do that, when we look inward that way, uh, a shift in our energy uh, tends to uh, manifest, sometimes in the body, in the solar plexus, or maybe in the heart area. But there's a, a shift, a softening almost. Uh, and a, a different way of feeling and seeing the world occurs. When that happens, we add that into the entire field of experience. So at the end of the 
all of the stages. An advanced meditator will be able to uh, experience the, all the sensations of the breath, all of the sensations of the body, the silence and the sounds, the open, clear, empty space in the visual field and the objects within that space, uh, thoughts and feelings and emotions, uh, experiencing all of that uh, with an open heart uh, and experiencing the shift of the witness uh, in the middle of all of that, all at the same time. So it's really an incredibly rich practice uh, to n notice that the present moment is that full. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these layers of the present moment all the time. Say so day-to-day life, the average person won't be witnessing any of this. They'll be yeah. in their car, you drive into work, you're in work, <laughs> you come home, and every day's like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I read a study somewhere once that it said that uh, the average uh, human nervous system can comprehend 200,000 bits of information per second. But the average awareness is generally aware of about 2,000 bits per, per second. So it's an astronomical amount of raw material that's being lost in every second yeah. <laughs> of the present moment. So with a practice like this, it actually allows you to regain a lot of what's normally being lost. One of the, one of the real great benefits, I think, of a practice like this is that when you, when you are open to the entire present moment, things like anger can arise but you, you don't collapse down on it. You maintain that mind-like-a-sky experience. So anger comes into your awareness. It stays for a while, maybe pretends to be very important, <laughs> and then it fades away back into nothing, and you actually don't punch somebody out as a result, or you don't yell at somebody. You can rest in the experience of being angry because that anger is just another aspect of this incredibly rich field of experience it, it's there's anger there but yes there's also the sensations of the clothing on my skin there's the sound of the birds there's the sunshine coming down against my skin uh, there's all of the present moment that's happening and the anger is just a, a minor aspect of it instead of be, being the main player in the in the drama now the anger just becomes a minor character so some people will go to certain classes, you know, the counseling, good anger management, and that will focus mm -hmm. on just one thing. But with your meditation practices, we're focusing on, on everything, really. It's yeah. the whole being, like being soothed. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It works with anger. But one of the other great benefits that I've noticed is where it works with pain, physical pain. Mm. Uh, if there's a physical pain in the body, Typically, our awareness collapses right down on it because physical pain can be very intense. And then there's usually an emotional component to that physical pain, anger or hurt or shame. Uh, whatever, the, whatever instigated the physical pain uh, usually brings with it an emotional component as well. So typically, our awareness will collapse right down on those and it becomes our reality. But having practice to practice such as this, uh, one is able to allow the physical pain to be there. Uh, of course, it sucks, <laughs> you know, to be in physical pain. Uh, generally, most people don't enjoy that. <laughs> but you, you can allow the physical pain to be there, but it doesn't take you over. Your awareness doesn't collapse down on it. If you keep that mind like a sky type awareness, 
there's the physical pain of the ache in the shoulder, but then there's also the sound of the cars driving by, the sound of music, uh, you know, a, a pleasant conversation that's happening, which happens to bring joy at the same time. So there's all of these variables. The present moment uh, is offering this incredibly rich tapestry of experience, and we don't need to focus on any one particular aspect of that. We can live open and clear enough to embrace uh, the entire present. Which, yeah, it's an incredibly... Uh, relieving in a way because now we don't have to respond or react to life in a knee-jerk reaction to our physical sensations or our emotional sensations you know we can allow the present moment to unfold and respond more appropriately mm -hmm. absolutely so having more control of your mind right instead of just getting carried away and yeah you know um so the ultimate goal really is for people to feel whole to feel great to feel at peace to feel content to feel happy if we have to label it, right? Yeah. These were all labels then. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. That's the ultimate goal, is for people just to feel happy being themselves and, you know, eventually that like, grateful that you're in this world. Yeah, I think those are, those are two wonderful aspirations and two uh, reasons that people come to meditation, I think, frequently. Uh, are those reasons people are looking for a way of, of being in the world that doesn't cause suffering. Uh, for themselves and for others, uh, or being in the world which brings them happiness and joy for themselves and others. And, and uh, seeking out a meditation practice, if not from me, from somewhere, uh, is, I think, a great idea uh, to making strides towards that end. You know? Well, Chris, you know, your technique, your meditation technique, like, helped me hugely. Um, so I would, I would recommend you massively um, and how would people um, get in touch with you oh sure um, well my website uh, www.suchsweetthunder.org uh, is a great way to get in touch with me all of my contact information is available on the website as, long, as well as uh, um, uh, published articles that I've done guided meditations uh, video podcasts uh, this podcast and others <laughs> will be on there as well uh, so it's a great resource, as it is, alone. Uh, the website is a great resource for people uh, who are interested in meditation. And then once people contact you, we can start the process where they can start doing these sessions with you, these meditation sessions, and that's the first step to really changing your life. Yeah. Yeah, I offer uh, Skype sessions, or it doesn't have to be Skype. Uh, I just say that, but it can be any video uh, uh, app. Uh, Skype works, FaceTime, uh, Facebook video chat works as well. Uh, and generally, I meet with people once a week, uh, and I ask for about a one-month commitment just to see if the uh, practice is going to take hold. And after that, I allow the students to really make their own schedule with me. If they want to come once a week or once every other week, that's fine. Uh, but a, a consistent meeting with a teacher in a consistent way is a great way to... Um, make sure the practice takes hold, as I mentioned. And also, a good teacher is able to um, see the pitfalls in, in the path before a student gets there, or pretty soon after a student gets there, and is able to help them out of that pitfall or around that pitfall. Um, sometimes uh, a very deep meditation practice can lead to emotional upheavals or uh, a very deep... Uh, metaphysical experiences that can't be comprehended uh, right away and a good teacher a good guide uh, is very essential uh, I think for navigating the path and you feel like yeah you've been taught by by some of the best 
and yes, I've had some great, wonderful teachers. Yeah, in the Tibetan traditions and the both Japanese and Korean Zen, uh, the Shambhala and mindfulness schools in America as well. Yes, I've had some really, really wonderful teachers. Amazing, Chris. Yeah. Very well. Thanks for speaking to me today. Yeah, thank you, James. Thanks for having me on. Cool, man. Yeah.